Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. I love that. I love that. It's good to see a house that's starting to get packed, filled a little bit. Um, even at the 9 a.m. service, it looks like you guys are doing your job and inviting folks and loving Jesus. <laughs> Something like this. But amen, it's just great. It's great. It's great. What a beautiful rhythm Sunday morning is. Amen. Um, uh, you know, some pastors, I think I heard Pastor Roger pray, you know, hide me behind your cross. Well, as I look around, I'm being hidden behind these idols. But um, for those of you that are with us for the first time, you're wondering, why did we just do three worship songs with a bunch of all kinds, trinkets and objects of idolatry up here? Um, we are in the midst of a sermon series that we have titled Substitute Saviors. And what you see here are objects of idolatry. Uh, in fact, some people were asking, there's, there's like a donkey and elephant. What is that? Well, that's Democrat and Republican right there. Um, and so you can see that, but you can see some idolatry of technology. There's even a McDonald's bag. You know, the scripture says your God is your belly. Um, and many of us don't even know that that's an idol. Um, and in fact, uh, um, there's a lot to say about that as well. And so what you'll see is all of these objects. Um, you see a nice little house right there, right? I mean, for a lot of us in the Bay Area, the little Tesla, like these are objects of idolatry. Things that we want, things that our safety, our security, our status is kind of tied up in these things. But you'll also notice these weird naked figures um, that are here. You can laugh at that. Um, and those those are actual idols from uh, my dad's house. And my dad is not an idolater. Well, he can be. He needs to repent as well. But nonetheless, those came from a region in Mexico, literally excavated from a region in Mexico, um, uh, real idols. And for those of you that are superstitious in here, I, I just want to let you know that that's just clay. It's mud shaped by human hands. No power. They can't talk. That's what the psalm says. They can't speak. They can't walk. They can't grab, yet you empower them. And so what we, what we talked about last week, we set a foundation for idolatry. And we talked about how all of these objects are objects, are idols, but they're empowered by the idols of your heart. And so they have no power. In fact, many of these things are good things, but good things become God things when we empower them with the lusts, desires, and pursuits of our hearts. Are you with me? And so those, though these things are made of metal and wood on the shelf, they become idols when our hearts begin to project onto them our deepest desires, our deepest longings. And so this series is called Substitute Saviors. If you weren't here Sunday, I really want to maybe even encourage you to go back to our podcast or our YouTube and listen to the groundwork that we laid so that you could kind of get a better understanding of what, where we're going to go next. So we set the groundwork. We talked about idolatry as a whole. And now for the next five weeks, we're going to pick at particular idols. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So I thought I'd give you a list of idols that we're going to talk about in the next five weeks. That way you know when not to show up. Amen? Yeah. 
we're going to do you a favor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but for some of that, it's kind of true, right? Um, and what, so here's what we're, today we're going to talk about people pleasing. So you showed up no matter what, surprise, that's where we're going today. Uh, um, but let me talk about some other items. Uh, today we'll be people pleasing. Next week we'll talk about pleasure seeking. Then the next week we'll talk, be, talk about money motivation. Then we'll talk about misplaced affections, and then I cannot wait for our final installment of Power in Politics. Um, and again, if you uh, need to go to enough, another church after this uh, series, that's totally okay with me. I told the 9 a.m. I'd rather have a, you know, a happy church leaver than an angry church attender, amen? And um, there are other beautiful gospel-loving churches we can point you to in the area, but we definitely are going to pick a little bit, so just prepare your hearts for the picking. Final thing I want to say before we jump into people-pleasing today, there are three ultimate things we want to take place um, at Inspire during this journey. Number one is we want you to see idols everywhere. I want to wreck you. No offense. I want you to leave here and see idols everywhere. I want you to see that our world and there is an economy and an industry of idolatry. I want you to see idols everywhere. Number two, I want you to not only see them everywhere, but discern them in here. You see that? Not only do I want you to see how all of these things can be idols, but then I want you to look at what are the, which one of these are my idols because my heart is going after them. Now your idols might not even be on here, but that's okay. We don't have enough room for all the idols. Finally, number three, I want you to experience what I call a second conversion. Now, some of you are new to church, and so this is all first for you, but some of you have been going to church for a very long time, yet it's still difficult for you to articulate the gospel or even apply the gospel to your idols. So the reality is, is that for many of you who go through this series, it's going to feel like you're getting saved all over again. Hint, it's because you are. Some of you might be surprised to know that, man, I thought I was a believer, but I'm not quite sure. That's okay. I want you to get that uncomfortable because Jesus is that beautiful and worthy. Amen? Is that okay? Amen. If we're not careful... Like, if we're not thinking with a sober mind, the need to please people can become an idol. Did you know that? Let me me explain how, how so. You see, when pleasing people is motivated by a fear of man, we can be sure that we have dethroned Jesus and enthroned a substitute Savior. Let me clarify. You see, the activity of pleasing someone, did you know that's worship? And then the person that you are pleasing, you know that's your idol. You see that? But even deeper than that, the the heart, the fear of man inside of you that fuels the worship of that person is an idol of your heart. And so what ends up happening is we have these surface idols that are powerless, and even a lot of times good, but they become God when the idol of our heart begins to pursue it in a way that replaces Christ. And if you remember, a key way that you can discern idolatry is what are you willing to sin to keep, and what are you willing to sin to get? And you know it's an idol. I also think coming off the back of our Rhythms series, What are you willing to sweat and pursue of instead of the rhythms of life? 
Amen? And so the activity of pleasing people can be worship. And, and while the people we are pleasing can be objects of our worship, and still it's the fear of man that is the idol of the heart driving and lording over it all. You hear what I'm saying? And so when I say repent and apply the gospel, I'm not saying don't just repent for the activity of your worship. Don't just repent for the object of your worship, but discern the heart and apply the gospel. Now, if you're anything like me, you are a textbook people pleaser. Man, I'm going to be very real and honest today about myself. I land here. Like, this is one of those idols. I mean, I have all of these idols, right? But this one likes to, like, be in power a lot in my life. But maybe there are a few of you in here who are just not convinced. Like, man, that's people pleasing. That's just not my, that's not my idol. But I want you to consider the words of Christian psychologist and counselor, Dr. Ed Welch. Listen to what he says. The fear of man is such a part of the human fabric that if anyone denies they have it, we should check their pulse. So can I just say this? If you're uncomfortable because this is your idol, become comfortable because it's all of our idols. Right, let's, let's be comfortable repenters in this house, right? Let's, let's make being honest comfortable. Like it's okay to the conviction of the spirit to kind of pull at you so that you can make Jesus Lord over everything. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, let me, let me bring some comfort and let you know that we're all people pleasers. And so what I want to do is I want to begin, I want to open really with a short proverb from the wisdom of Solomon that's really going to kind of fuel this entire conversation about people pleasing, but really the heart of a fear of a man, man. So Proverbs 29, 25, you don't have to go there. I'm going to be quick, uh, but I really want this to be the launch point. We'll have it for you on the screen. Proverbs 29, 25. The scripture reads like this. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Y'all see that? The fear of the man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's pray. And then we'll proceed. Heavenly Father, I need you. We need you. I pray that you do what you do best when it comes to your word. Illuminate the text, Holy Spirit. And bring these words to bear in every heart and mind in this room. We have so many different people in here, different pasts, different family trees, different experiences, different traumas, different concerns, yet all of us need your word, your gospel applied. So Holy Spirit, will you do that in this room for all of us this morning? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Today I wanna talk about Three activities, right? I want to emphasize three movements of this particular idol of the fear of man that ends up becoming people-pleasing. So if you're taking notes, here's what it is. Number one, I want to talk about how we prioritize praise. Number two, I want to talk about impersonating love and then finally, number three, exchanging fears, okay? And so the idolatry of the fear of man is the action of prioritizing human praise. And it's hard to really discern because it looks like love. 
And finally, the only way we can overcome it is if we exchange the fear of man for the fear of God. Fearing man and pleasing people is the prioritizing of human praise. You see, what we praise, we make big. Uh, what we pray, what, you could say that what we praise, we magnify. Yeah. Are you with me? I mean, we just spent the last 10, 20 minutes singing songs. And those songs were us declaring words. And those words ascribed to Jesus, his goodness and his bigness and his mercy and his grace. What we were all doing together during a time of singing is we were making God big. We were magnifying him. We were putting a magnifying glass on his character and declaring it in the room. We were praising God. Is anybody with me in the house? This is worship to ascribe to something or someone most value or most concern. You see, when you are excessively worried about what other people think, you are prioritizing human praise. When you possess an insatiable need for the approval of others, you are prioritizing human praise. If you constantly find yourself wrestling with inordinate desires to be liked, loved, admired, accepted, respected, invited, or applauded, then you are prioritizing human praise. Anybody with me? Anybody prioritize human praise? And I'd like to take really some time to drill down on this deeper. I've identified seven ways that we prioritize human praise. Seven ways in which we engage in what I would say acts of idol worship. So we're going to examine our hearts. This is going to sting a little bit. But I promise you that the gospel will heal the wound that the word creates. Amen? It's a good thing. It's a good sting. Are you ready? Let's diagnose ourselves. Number one, do you regularly give in to the urge of self-promotion? Self-promo is an act of worship. Are you a name dropper? Or a title dropper? You're like, I don't know nobody. Or are you a title dropper, right? This is my uncle, a lawyer. That's my friend. She's a CEO. Right? This is my niece, the model. Or, or that's my cousin, the doctor. Right? Or that's my uncle, he's the OG on the block, right? He used to bang, right? Like everything that we do and everything we say, are you a name dropper or, or are you a title dropper? Or, or, or how about this? Are you always finding ways to talk about the money you make, the job you have, the trips you take, or the things that you own? And it's obvious that you struggle with this idol. Why? Because nobody asked you, right? <laughs> All of us, I'm here, right? You identify your worth based upon the proximity to power. Nobody asked you. Nobody cares. We, we find creative ways, don't we? 
It's all unnecessary, but we can't help ourselves. Like we volunteer this information before it's even asked. Why? Why? More than just a need to impress, this is a cry for validation. This is a deep cry for validation that leads us, ready, to derive a deep sense of significance from the creatures rather than the creator. Isn't that what idols is? It's we elevate creation above and beyond who the creator should be in our lives. Number two, do you find yourself overreacting to rejection? I'm all... I got three hands for that. Two hands, two feet, all toes. It all comes up on this. Right? Do we do, you know what's funny about overreactions? Anytime you, your reaction is bigger than the moment, you could just follow the path and at the end is an idol that you've elevated too high. Do you find yourself overreacting to rejection? Overreaction is an act of worship. Do you silence your input or second guess your decisions out of fear of looking stupid? Right? Are you easily crushed by criticism and correction, even if it's godly and loving? How about this? Do you avoid conflict or apologize often? Some of you are like habitual apologizers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? Does the idea of someone being unhappy with you cause a deep sense of anxiety or stress? In fact, there might be someone even here today, you are full of anxiety and stress because somebody is unhappy with you. You can't even engage Are you sensitive and easily offended? Do you take things way too personal when you're not invited? I do. So everyone invite me, please. Just, playing. Just kidding. Just a little comedic relief here. Or when someone cancels on you, how dare them? No idea why. But you automatically run with things, right? It's just taking it personal. Are you with me? Yeah. I even know some people who will keep track of their social media likes. Did somebody like that? Did they see it? They're probably not even on your algorithms. But you've, you've created a whole world. You understand that? Do, do you keep track? Keep score, tally records of wrongs. Jesus, Jesus. Do you give past social rejection power in your present? Let's see. I'm going to pick up these ones because these are about the only ones I could probably pick up, to be honest. <laughs> and some of you, you are relentless with working out. Relentless. You close rings more than you close rhythms. Relentless. And you say it's health and fitness, right? 
But in reality, inside of your heart, what's driving you is the idol of past letdowns and rejections. You're running away from names that you were called, put downs. You don't want to be fat. Maybe it was even a parent. And what's driving you to relentlessly pursue a body is not because you want to take care of your temple, though you'll often excuse it as that. It's because you're trying to live up to someone else's expectation. You're trying to run away from someone else's name calling or you're trying to look like what the culture says a male and female body should look like. I mean, this is why I suck in whenever someone takes a photo and hold my breath. Am I the only one? Anybody else do that? Some of y'all are like, I'm good. <laughs> Not me. Photos up. You better take it quick. Pastor's going to pass out. <laughs> Why are you red, Pastor? I'm sucking in, right? Like, and, 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 you know, I just want to say we all are carrying body image issues. The makeup that we put on. In some ways, it could masquerade. It could hide. It's mascara. It's a mess. And ladies, put on your makeup. But nonetheless, the heart, right? The, uh, there's the object that could be good, but then there's the hearts that can cause it to be a God. Right? And not only is the world perpetuating, then we pass this on to our kids. How about this, number three? Have you done or do you still do things that are foolish, embarrassing, or even in violation of your own personal boundaries because of peer pressure? Now, you thought that was just for high schoolers, huh? You thought peer pressure is just for teenagers. No, 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 no. Silly of us. Don't disqualify the power of peer pressure because you're not a teenager. Are you driven by the need to be liked? Do you try hard to fit in and make a good impression? As a result, you justify drinking too much because you're with the boys, you're with your girls, or you're trying to impress your clients, coworkers, or bosses. We'll justify the things that we say, the jokes that we tell and laugh at, the places that we go, and the compromising positions we place ourselves in, all in the name of prioritizing human praise or earning human approval. Do you see that? We're all in it. No one in this room can say no. Are you willing to tell white lies? You know, lying is a form of idol worship. Do you exaggerate your accomplishments? Or do you minimize your failures? Or how about this? Do you lie to cover up possible disappointments? I know I do that sometimes, right? Somebody ever asks you to go out and you tell them you can't, but then you lie as to why you can't, all to avoid their disappointment in you if you just tell them, I don't want to go? Nah, you don't do that. That's just me. What you're willing to sin to get and to keep is an idol. Do you overcommit? Right? Overcommitting is a form of worship. 
Right? Is it hard for you to say no for fear of what other people will say? Do you undercommit? Undercommitting is a form of worship too. Is it hard for you to say yes? You see, either way, whether you overcommit or undercommit, the fear of disappointing others can either overextend you or even paralyze you from making the kind of impact God has called you to make. All idolatry. And if you're still like, nah, none of those. I'm not a people pleaser. And you wear that proud. You're pleasing people because you want people to look at you and be like, wow, he's not a people pleaser. Look at that guy. None of those? Man, that's great. Yeah, that's me. Right? You see that? Like it's still building the ego, worshiping the self, adorning praise. And if you're still like, nah, have you ever been too shy, too embarrassed, too concerned about what others might think or say, too timid to share your faith? Timidity regarding the gospel is a form of worship. You see, when we magnify the thoughts and opinions of men, we diminish God. When we live for the well done of our peers, employers, leaders, and family members, we'll miss the well done of Christ if we're not careful. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If you live for the well done of men, you'll miss the well done of Christ. It's all over the scriptures. Saul lost his kingdom because he wanted to please the people. Certain Jewish leaders didn't confess Christ because they were fearing what the Pharisees had to say. Nicodemus meets Jesus at night. You want to know why? Because he feared the opinions of the Pharisees. Peter denied Jesus. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. Pilate crucified Jesus because they feared the people and preferred the glory of men over the glory of God. Dr. Ed Welch summarizes. He says this, all experiences of the fear of man share at least one common feature. People are big. They have grown to idolatrous proportions in our lives. They control us. Since there is no room in our hearts to worship both God and people, Whenever people are big, God is not. You see that? Yeah. Now, did you notice Solomon calls the fear of man a snare? Right? A snare is a trap. Right? So he, it's a hunting to hunt animals, snares, set up traps. And there are multiple reasons why the fear of man is a snare. But, but I want to quickly highlight four. Number one, the fear of man can produce the snare of codependency. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I can't go too deep on this issue. I, I don't have the expertise in this. But what I can say is, Codependency and people-pleasing is a very destructive idol. 
You see, what starts out as a simple desire to help someone turns into an unholy alliance of dysfunctional gods and substitute saviors that endure abuse, enable addiction, and harm one another more than help one another. In fact, what I do know is this codependency first started from family members who were dealing with family members who were in addiction. And there would be the person who's in the addiction who is controlled by the substance and then an enabler, usually someone really close, all in the name of love supporting that addiction. And these, these idols are in alliance and destroying one another. Number two, the fear of man can produce the snare of leading a double life. When we're preoccupied with approval and concerned about what others think, then as a consequence, we live inauthentically. In fact, someone who battles deeply with the fear of man will compartmentalize their lives. They'll, they'll have to manage the different masks they wear to perform in the different places. And so at church, with the church folk, you're real churchy. Y'all know what I mean by churchy? You know, using all the churchy words, you know, I'm blessed, highly favored. Hey, brother, hey, sister, God bless you. Here's the scripture. You're memorizing scriptures, you're high-fiving, you're smiling. You're living in your own righteousness. But when you're at work with the co-workers, then that's that work person. Then when, you, when you're, at, you're at the bar with the college friends, when you're with the high school, y'all see that? It's, it's, it's a, you're compartmentalizing, you're double life living, and, and it works at first, but all of a sudden it is a snare. And it's so much work to try to go everywhere and perform for everybody. Everybody. And at some point you just break and you ask me, who am I? What am I doing? Some of you might not be there yet, but you'll get there. Y'all feel that? Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. You're, you're contemplating even walking away from your faith because maybe that's not me. Mm. A snare. Number three, and I want to emphasize this, the fear of man in pleasing people, here it is, impersonates love. You know, one of the reasons why it's a trap, a snare, is because people pleasing, like that idol can sometimes be really difficult to discern. Why? Well, at times, people pleasing can disguise itself as love, can't it? Right? When, when I please people, it can come off sacrificial. When I please people, it can look like I'm putting them first. I'm a generous person. Look at all this that I do and give. Are you with me? When I please people, it can involve acts of service. So that act, you know, it comes off generous. It comes off kind. But rather than actually being loving, it's really looking like love. 
Because when I look like love and not actually love, I love with condition. I love for approval. And so my God is myself. Let me illustrate. I'm going to expose myself, okay? Here we go. I often go out of my way to hold the door open for strangers wherever I go. I'd like to think that I'm a very respectful and considerate guy. But if I hold the door open for you, you don't say thank you. If I drive my car and slow down to let you cross and you don't acknowledge me, you don't praise me for my benevolence, you don't glorify me for my consideration, you don't declare and affirm my kindness, I get angry on the inside. And so the reality is, is am I really kind and considerate? I like to think sometimes, but more oftentimes than not, I'm just looking for praise. And so instead of looking like Christ and glorifying him, I'm actually glorifying myself. I learned the hard lesson the other day when I was coming out of the donut shop. Someone held the door open for me and I was so busy and consumed, I walked past and then he angrily yelled, you're welcome. And I said, oh, that's what I do. I don't do that all the time, but it happens. And if it doesn't happen out loud, it happens in my heart. And me being a prideful person, I said, well, I didn't see you. I'm busy. You know, I got all angry, right? By the way, God bless you. I'm pastor at Inspired Church. Union City, Crown Plaza. Talk about people pleasing this Sunday. (laughs) Right? How, how, how dare them take advantage of me? How dare them not acknowledge my goodness and praise me for my consideration? Come on, am I the only people pleaser in the building? Am I really kind? Am I really considerate or do I look kind and look considerate? Because what I really want is not to look like Jesus, but to seek my own glory. In his article, Fear Your Fear of Man, Marshall Siegel writes, the fear of man in pleasing people only pretends to count others more significant than itself while secretly counting on others to fan the flame of its own conceit. Never holding a door open for any of you again. (laughs) Jesus, help us. And the fourth reason that I have on here is the fear of man is a snare because it usurps the fear of God in our lives. It wages war. It creates an inward rebellion. It dethrones the true savior and enthrones a substitute savior. So the only way that we can be safe from this snare is to exchange the fears. If you have your Bibles, this is now a time you can open with me to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. I will wait. I'm trying to be a pastor that encourages the following along of Scripture, not just here. If you don't, please don't feel any type of way. But if you have your Bible, 
open it up with me to Exodus chapter 1. We are going to read verses 8 through 10, and then I'm going to jump down and finish reading verses 15 through 17. This is by far one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I have a lot of favorites, but this is probably one of the top three in all of Scriptures. It's a real short, simple story. Exodus chapter 1, 8 through 10, and I'll give you a little bit of context This is the introduction to the Exodus where Israel will be freed from Egyptian slavery. But what will happen is in the beginning they will be enslaved because Egypt will be afraid of Israel. And so verse eight reads like this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Sounds pretty wise, right? Now, if you drop down to verse 15, it says, Then the king of Egypt, he has an idea said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named Sifra and the other Pura, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. State-sanctioned abortion. Now watch. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but let the male children live wow these are all just stories to us but how different of a story Would it have been if it read, but they feared Pharaoh and did what Pharaoh said? Yet it is recorded in history that female slaves defied the most powerful man in the most powerful country in the world. Now, we're not told in scripture, but I bet they were distraught. We're not told in scripture, but I bet they had an inner turmoil. I bet they feared for their lives as the most powerful man in the world says, kill the baby boys. Yet, because they feared God more than they feared man, they let them live. Sure, Pharaoh could have tortured them, taken their lives. Yet the Hebrew midwives exemplified what Jesus would later declare in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's heavy. I wonder what the stories of our lives would read. Because we fear losing our jobs. 
We compromise our faith. Because we fear losing a lover, we violated our integrity. Because we feared rejection, we justified our compromise. Because our idols were threatened. We do all of this and more because we fear losing life, reputation, popularity, status, power, and privilege more than we fear God. Lord, have mercy. You see, what we fear, we will obey. Amen? What we fear, we will obey. So the question becomes, how can we exchange that fear? How can we enter into a fear exchange? Well, if you look at the text, it says, by trusting the Lord. See that? Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Right? Snare, trap, danger, destruction. Safety, security, sanctuary. One is placed in the fear of man. One is the result of fear of man. The other one is the result of fear of God. How do we exchange fears? By trusting in the Lord. You see, the gospel of the idolatry of the fear of man says that you are justified by the recognition of your accomplishments. Mm, You feel that? I'm going to say that again. The gospel of the idolatry of the fear of man says that you are justified by your accomplishments. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. The gospel of this idolatry of the fear of man says that you are loved and accepted based on how well you perform. Hmm. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are loved and accepted in Christ alone. It's the performance of Christ who died on the cross that has justified you before men. And before, most importantly, God. Exchange fears. How do I change fears? I trust my Savior. Hmm. Why do you work so hard? To gain the fleeting approval of man when you can rest in the eternal approval of the Father in Christ Jesus. Think about that. You work hard, don't you? You sweat hard. And that approval is fleeting. Right? It's almost like that commercial with the old man with the dollar. You gotta be quicker than that. That's what it is. It's fleeting. It's right there and it's got to take it. You got to do something bigger and do something grander and do something greater. And you got to justify yourself and talk about yourself and lift you up and constantly, constantly looking for adoration. Being One day you feel good. The next day you feel down. You give control to your idols. But what would it look like to rest in the acceptance of the Father in Christ alone who has performed on that cross on your behalf. Wow. Aren't you tired? Listen, 
Only when God becomes our greatest fear can he become our safest place. Marshall Siegel says, no power in hell or praise of men can compare with the staggering, frightening splendor of his majesty. Jesus is the dreadful king and judge who has become a sanctuary for all who believe in fear. Hmm. In a moment, we're going to take the communion and I'm going to have you all go to different, excuse you to different stations. But before we do that, can I just frame this idol in the frame of the cross for a moment? Amen? Can I do that for a moment? I love it. You could either have a substitute savior or the savior who was your substitutionary atonement, your substitute on that cross. I want to talk about the juxtaposition of the cross. Stay with me. We're, we're almost finished. This is important. You see, on the cross, we see a very brutal picture, don't we? Don't we? I'm not talking about the one that you wear. Like, that can be an idol. You know that, right? We mindlessly wear. Some wear it to enhance their reputation, decorate it with gold and diamonds. It's not really about the suffering of Christ. But on the one hand, when we look at that cross, we see something that we want to turn away from, don't we? It's bloody. It's grotesque. In fact, many people are turned off by Christianity. It's a bloody religion. We worship a savior who was battered and brutalized. You with me? Yeah, yeah. The juxtaposition of the cross. On one hand, we see the terrible wrath of God poured out on Jesus because of our idolatry. Yet, on the other hand, we see the love of our Savior. See that? See how it's both terrible and beautiful? That same picture, terrifying, and that it's the wrath of God poured out for our idolatry, yet beautiful and loving because it's the the Savior, the Father's Son, substituting himself in your place and saying, I'll take this for you, and then I'll give my righteousness to you. And so what we see on the cross is both the terrible suffering of Christ and the beautiful forgiveness of a Savior. You tell me what God is worthy of our worship. You tell me what lover and Lord is worthy of all admiration and praise. You can understand why this is a second conversion. So before we take these elements that represent the love of God and the wrath of God, can we take some time to process a little bit 
just right where you're at. Repent. And allow that beautiful yet terrifying picture of your Savior compel you to begin to worship the true God and not your idols.